Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. This is Episode 7. In today's episode, we're talking to Cameron Gott. Cameron is an ADHD coach, author, and one of the luminaries of the ADHD world. He can be found at CameronGott.com. We'll be discussing Cameron's new book, Curious Accountability, which he co-wrote with Casey Moore. Along the way, we'll also explore the value of trip plans, the importance of reflection, and big carrots in the sky. Please check out the show notes for the first chapter of Curious Accountability. All right, let's get rolling. Cameron, how are you? Brendan, I'm doing well. Thanks, and thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. Um, you're one of the one of the luminaries in the ADHD world. You've done a lot of work in these circles, and now I'm excited to have seen the book that you've written, Curious Accountability, full of really effective practical strategies for people affected by ADHD, either because they're teachers or parents, and they want to be able to have more effective conversations with the people that they care about. So maybe we could start just by talking about your history within ADHD circles, and we'll move on to the book from there. Yeah, so like you, I was a teacher before I was a coach. Uh, I was a teacher for 13 years, um, and um, how I got into coaching was basically through teaching, that a lot of my students at the school that I worked at were diagnosed and undiagnosed with uh, ADHD. And uh, like a lot of teachers, I was uh, in a bit of a scramble of how to work with these kids, these super brilliant individuals who you looked in their book bag and it just looked like a black hole. Teachers were coming to me and my, you know, asking me about my advisees, uh, the kids in my advisee group. How do I reach this kid? Or your, your kid is really driving me crazy. <laughs> so, so I had to sort of figure out uh, on the fly how to help these kids be successful. And so that's where my interest in ADD or ADHD started. It was in the, about the mid nineties. Um, and at that same time I was diagnosed myself with ADHD. So, okay. Um, so you were sort of seeing it from two angles. Yeah. Also that's pretty far back mid nineties. That's a, sort of at the forefront of when ADHD started to become a thing people cared about. That's right. My first experience of working with a kid with ADD was we took some kids on a trip down to North Carolina from Baltimore for a two-week experience. The parents decided to give the kids a um, medication vacation without telling us. And they were uh, two, uh, two boys and um, they were in the back. They just, you know, fed off each other and, and kind of drove us crazy because we just didn't, it was like, these were not the same kids that we knew. And uh, once they got out in the woods, they were different, you know, so sitting in the van was very different from being in the woods and you know, learning skills and pitching a tent. And so when they were active and moving and, and were doing things that were of interest to them, 
they were just completely different. But if there was any kind of downtime or we were between our trips, you know, where we had to go to Walmart and get stuff, they were causing problems. It was like, what is this? You know, so we found out later. That's awesome. So I'm assuming that when they were in the woods and, in, and learning new tasks, they were sort of engaged and, and behaving appropriately and focused. And when there was downtime in the van or at Walmart, they were all over the place. Right. And, and, you know, so this goes to this whole notion of accountability. Certain environments invite certain behaviors. And if you look at the Walmart environment, it really lacked any kind of structure. Um, whereas out in the woods, we had an agenda. It was like to get to the camp, you know, and, and have some comfort and get some food in you. And, you know, there was oppor- teaching opportunities all over the place. So there were certain positive structures in place that allowed those kids to be successful. When you think about accountability, accountability is, is just another type of structure like time management, boundary management, managing a planner. Those are structures that we put in place to help us be successful. I'm sort of thinking back to my time. My guys are in Cub Scouts, so we've done camping not that long ago, and we also have been to Walmart. So I'm sort of, I'm imagining a Walmart, which every Walmart I've ever been to is pretty cluttered and there's bins full of stuff. And sometimes the stuff is just on the ground and there's shoes over where the toys should be. And then I'm imagining the woods where despite the fact that it's nature and you would think it would be more chaotic, often it's less so because there's trails and, and yeah, there's logs on the ground and things, but they almost make sense and seem like they belong there and it feels less cluttery. And so that's that structure you're talking about. That's the environment. Right. And we were teaching them, you know, we were teaching them skills like developing a trip plan, right? Where they had to look at a map and look and see how long it would take, uh, depending on um, altitude gained and stream crossings and, you know, looking for hazards. And in hindsight, if we had made a trip plan for Walmart, again, this is another concept of accountability is to mine the learning and apply it forward. And there's lots of learning in that situation that I took and applied forward. Yeah. And I've actually, um, I've made a trip plan for my BJ's shopping trips where I literally made a map of BJ's and then wrote down like what in each section I need. And I go through the map as I shop at BJ's and it, it makes life a lot easier for me. My wife will make, she'll make the, the grocery list based on the recipes and I'll take it. I, I need to rewrite it. I see the the grocery store as sort of four distinct sections. There's the produce and deli. There's the, um, you know, the two sections in the middle. I don't really have to name it, right? But there's kind of the food and then there's the, like the garbage bags, you know? (laughs) And then then there's the dairy and orange juice, right? And if I kind of put it in those four categories, I'm much more successful. That's what this book is about. That's a pretty significant element of it. The book is really to, to... illustrate how accountability can be seen as something different, uh, to really bring it into something more of a positive light. I'm glad you said positive because I can imagine that there's a few people listening to this right now who are hearing the word accountability and like the hairs on the back of their neck are going up and they're feeling a little extra tense. That's right. Because accountability can be, it can be charged, almost threatening to some people. That's right. How are we getting past that? So if you go and look at the definition of accountability, there's nothing charged about it. If you think about it, it's answerable for your actions. 
there's not much charge in there. And so, and yet, how does it, how's it become charged? It's because people over the years have taken it and made it into something very simple. There's a simple translation that, is, that happens here or interpretation where basically it's accountability means to people, go do this and be successful and come back. Go off, do, and come back. And that's it. Right. That's what accountability is. What's lost there is the opportunity for growth and learning. Many of my clients will come and in a very, in a very vulnerable moment early on, and they'll say, I can't be accountable to myself. It's not a positive statement. It's often one based in some shame. There's some emotion there, a sense of failure. Right. But it's their interpretation of, of, of their experience of what accountability has been. If we reframe that to, hey, I really have difficulty creating useful structures and keeping them in play. Do you see how that's very different? That is very different. Absolutely. And so curious accountability is really taking this concept of accountability and, number one, putting it into a positive perspective. It's an opportunity to pause, mind the learning that happened in the experience that just happened and apply it forward to the next experience. So that ability to pause, stop, look back, right, to pivot and look back at your experience, grab the good information from that, turn and pivot again and apply it forward, that is something that is really difficult with ADHD. With ADHD, we tend to just want to light the rocket and go. And we're not really thinking about pausing or pivoting or anything like that. In my years of coaching and teaching, and also as a parent, there are real fundamental mechanical breakdowns that occur with ADHD. And if we can address that, right, the ability to, again, it's managing and regulating all these different aspects. We can turn, pivot, sample, get it, and then turn again and apply and go forward. That's a really good skill to, to encourage in anyone, whether it's a, a client, uh, whether it's a student and a teacher, or a, a parent with a child. I like the way that structure can help with that inability to pivot or that difficulty with pivoting. Because if you build structure into your day or your week, to allow time for that reflection and that pivoting. Now maybe you're gonna, it's gonna happen a little more often. Right, and this is not just an ADD problem. No, it's not. Right, this is, uh, there, there's all, you see all this neuroscience study and research to show the value of reflection. And yet everyone's feeling pressure not to do that. Right, because there's not enough time. Because there's not enough time. And so ADHD just turns up the degree and frequency of that. I was doing a workshop at a school um, and we were talking about reflection and it was great to hear how many teachers told me that they built time into their week for reflection. It was also great to hear how many of them wished they could figure out how to build time into every day for reflection. Right. Because it means they're heading in the right direction, even if they haven't gotten there yet. That time crunch is hard. How do you figure out the best time to do the reflecting? And how do you make sure that you do it? Like I know for me, uh, for a little while there, I tried to do reflecting at the end of the day and I was just too done. You know, my theory was it's the end of the day. I'll just go over my day. But often 
my brain was fried by the time I got to it. And I just wasn't remembering things well enough to do an effective reflection. Well, and I think that, as you were saying, how do I get this into my day reflection? You know, the same thing happens with recess, right? There's all this evidence to suggest that more recess time is better. Yes. And then and this is, uh, don't get me started on recess, Brendan, please. I'm with you. Don't get me started either. <laughs> my daughter last year had a, a teacher with two large recesses built in and the results she gets with that real break. And it's a pivot point. Again, it's a chance to renew, recharge, to start over in a sense. So, you know, how do you build it in? That's a, that's a great question. And I think that integration piece, you're absolutely right. We're heading in the right direction with seeing that there's value in this, there's evidence of it, and the proof is in the pudding, that the teachers are getting better results when they do this, when they bring in elements of reflection. And we know just from, I mean, entrepreneurs might be the number one group that I hear about it from, but certainly in, there's professional organizations that are building in that reflection time and finding that their employees become more productive. I hear from all kinds of entrepreneurs about how their day is better when they build in that reflection piece. Right. I think that going back to the, uh, this whole notion of structure and, and what we have to be careful about is how a person with ADHD can interpret structure, right? Again, with that black and white thinking and kind of this all or nothing. Like, it's like, oh, great. You know, here's Cam and Brendan talking about structure. Well, then I've got to like, you know, account for every moment of my day, right? And I've got to have this sort of rigid structure. There's no wiggle room. And we're not talking about that at all. Right? It's really looking at, again, like how I look at the grocery store, a structure just enough to be successful, right? right? When I put the ingredients into the four different zones of the store, so I'm not doing my typical double back, <laughs> which when I come home and my wife says, what took so long? I can't, I can't really articulate the double back experience. Right? right. Well, I went to the bread aisle five times. Exactly. And sometimes this structure doesn't even have to be a time-based structure. My guys, one of the areas they struggle with is the memorization of multiplication and division facts, yeah. right? Those, just those, you got to know what five times five is. Right. They've got that one nailed. It's the sevens that mess them up. Part of how we got through that process was I recognized early on, and again, this is by teaching experience. My son, Nate, is a whiz at math. What he's bad at is regulating his emotions. So you sit him down in front of a math fact test and you tell him he only has five minutes to do 100 problems, he's going to flub it. Right. He, he was getting fours on addition, pro, addition tests. He can add all day, but the timing of it was what got him. So we just focused on that. I walked him through it. I was like, this is about managing stress and managing your emotions. It's not because you don't know math. Eventually, that consistency of structure around how do you feel having done this? How do you feel right now before we start? Me watching his nonverbals to see how overwhelmed he's getting as we go, checking in with him about do we need to stop, building the structure around that task based on his emotional experience of it as opposed to his intellectual experience of it, helped him get through those math challenges. Before we started the recording, you talked about the presence element of curious accountability and this, you know, if you want to call it uh, emotional intelligence or that, uh, that, that ability to be aware in the moment of what is going on. I think that's three quarters of the battle with ADHD, right? Is recognizing mm -hmm. 
when the emotional hyperarousal is occurring, noticing when you're losing interest, when you're losing momentum, and being able to articulate that in a safe environment. Absolutely. And one of the things I really appreciate about this book um, is you talk about curious accountability and specifically that presence side of it, just the presence of curious accountability and what that, what that is and what that is not. And that really struck me, the, the comparison there where you say, just grabbing one, um, you mentioned that curious accountability is curious, but it is not certain because certainty sort of eliminates curiosity. Can you talk a little bit more about the aspect of presence? Yeah, and what I'd like to do is apply it directly to, I was thinking about some examples. And, and by the way, this is in this handout that's available. This is not a push for anyone to buy the book. I've, Brendan has the first chapter. You can read that. And then there's this handout that's available. And I'm looking at, at the page one of the handout. And um, I'm fascinated by curiosity. The research that I understand curiosity to be is sort of having a, a certain bit of knowledge, some education, some knowledge about something, some awareness, and then this curiosity or around this not knowing, right? This comfort with, I don't know everything. This is the thing that we need in politics right now. Um, it's very human to want to create certainty because that tamps down threat levels, right? And, and that amygdala getting activated. Right. So curiosity is sort of bypassing the emotional center of the brain and the fight flight center of the brain. And when we lead with that, right, we start with that and to assume good versus assume bad, staying humble and, and not being the expert. We can slip into this expert or, you know, I've got information. I've got to get it to the kids. They got to perform on the test. And that's how we make this happen. But if we, if we start with curiosity, and I'll, and I'll mention this, this teacher who my son had in seventh grade math, the way that she did the quizzes was so refreshing. And I wish I had done it when I was a math teacher. Basically, there was a clear agreement that the kids could take this quiz up to four times. Wow. It, was a, it was a half a sheet, and there was like four, three or four concepts on it, and they could take it four times to get what she called mastery. So she put this concept of mastery out there. There was a, a clear agreement with this emphasis on practice. You always hear these entrepreneurs, Brendan, talking about fail forward, you know, and that failure is the best thing. Right. Fail and fast, yet, fail hard. Yeah. Fail fast, fail hard and, and move forward. And yet this is what gets kind of gommed on to our old notion of accountability, where we started, right, of how people feel about accountability. That's a challenge in the school systems. It goes back to that time stuff we talked about. Absolutely. I, you know, there's pressure for, um, there's a lot of pressure around performance and, you know, that the kids have to reach a certain uh, level of, of um, proficiency. Proficiency, thank you. That's a word memory. <laughs> active. That's how my ADD shows up is uh, active, is a word retrieval. Right. Uh, proficiency, right? So here's this teacher who, first of all, was like, okay, you know, I can do this. And here's the, the mistake that happens is typically they think volume, just as you said, it's like they have this sheet and they're given a sheet, you know, and it's like, how much can you do and do it fast? So it's volume and speed. And she's like, no, I'm going to trade volume and speed for mastery. 
there's this agreement that they can take it. She's not pushing them. She's like, here's this opportunity that you can do. There's responsibility on the student side and incentive to continue doing this. I've always been interested in the student side of the pressure around not getting 100 right away, not, not hitting mastery right off the bat, because the lesson that we wind up imparting to students without meaning to is that if it's not an A, or sometimes a B is okay, if it's not passing, it's somehow bad. Because if I get a 60, let's say, on my exam, I have failed it, and I'm going to get in trouble at home, and my options at school are I can retake it, maybe, but in order to retake it, I have to give up something, right? So I have to stay after school, or I have to come in early because the time constraints on school means that teachers can't really just revisit those concepts in a way that allows it to be gentle for students who need to relearn it. Sometimes they can. I'm not saying that this is a all-encompassing challenge, but it certainly is a large one that I find in my work with stat- with students and teachers. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's certain forces that work that we have to um, work within. Right. And this is not about wholesale changes. And, and the other thing is, this is not about a pass, right? This is not about kids getting a pass, right? Because part of that agreement, this conversation one of this overall agreement of how can we use positive constructs, uh, elements of accountability in our relationship where accountability is at play, right? So let's bring it out in the open. And one for teachers, and I think also for parents is basically striving for some improvement. Now, that can be interpreted in different ways. It's not about accepting the status quo. We're building towards something. And this is why I like coaching so much. What are those overarching coaching goals, right? What are we trying to do here? What's the bigger picture? And that's really important also for kids with ADHD because they're typically more about the forest than the trees, right? They, they want to be connected to what's the point? Why am I doing this? Yeah. Got to talk about that compelling why. That's where the conversations that you have in, in the book come up. Conversation one where you're making the agreement, you're saying, this is the thing that we want to address. You're not cleaning your room at home in a way that is effective and timely, or you're getting a D in social studies or whatever the case may be. What is it that we're looking at? What's the, what are we going to have to agree about? And then that plan, the conversation two, the plan, how are we going to address this issue? Um, and then that all important conversation three that we've already mentioned, the learning that comes from it, the ability to pivot and reflect and look back on how did this experience go? Let's go back to that conversation one, that accountability in the context of even a bigger conversation, right? What's the bigger conversation, the bigger positive that we want to have with our students and with our kids, right? And I would say it's around something around launching successfully. We're attempting to build young adults here that understand how to be successful out in a world where they have to build the structures themselves or find, find those structures and, and understand how those structures work that help them be successful. The most fundamental structure that works for me is collaboration, right? We didn't even mention the fact that this book was written with Casey Moore, and it was the two of us working on this concept, starting with a class 
and then building this through a collaborative effort uh, to a completion point. You know, we got to have that big carrot in the sky. Like, what are we? What is this all about? Like, what are we trying to do here? And for ADHD folks, not only do you need that big carrot in the sky, often we have to remind them that the big carrot is even in the sky, right? Like we have to, we have to point that out over and over again. This is what we're doing. Remember? Yeah, right. And, and so the, the conversation, conversation one is the umbrella. We're trying to do something. Accountability is in the room. So let's look at accountability and see how it can work for us. Right. And kind of clear up our assumptions about it and make it work for us. That's basically what I do with every single one of my clients. The conversation, too, is on the front side of action, is to really look at uh, different scenarios of how it may play out. But all of Curious Accountability is really that setup for the third conversation to you know, have the meaningful conversation and, and the value of to pause and look back. Many people will think, okay, I've got my plan of action. Now we're done. You just go do it. And that's where failure in the system happens. This assumption that, well, I made a great plan. They just need to go do it. Well, that's the ADHD experience is not being able to do what's on the plan. You can't pull the trigger if, if your gun is in a whole bunch of pieces. And sometimes that requires some patience on the part of the teacher or the parent or the coach, because sometimes you have to give them that plan and say, go and then find out where it went wrong so you know what to address. Because the person with ADHD doesn't always know where their plans go wrong. That's right. And so this is where curiosity is a wonderful piece to, to first of all, lean on to practice. Secondly, it's, this is about modeling. When I work with my clients, it's all about skill transfer. I am transferring my coaching skills to them because coaching skills is about effective communication. It's about creating awareness, presence. When we are curious, we have these mirror neurons that will match what the other person is doing. And so if a parent has a tone, a kid is going to have a tone right back. And that's partly just those mirror neurons. If the parent is modeling curiosity or if the teacher is modeling curiosity, they're assuming good, they're focused on who the person is as much as what they're trying to do, right? But looking for the, at the person and being curious about how can I help them be successful? That student or that child will start to do the same thing, bringing curiosity to their own experience. And that's the whole idea here. I don't work with people forever. I want them to go on and, and have their own curious accountability Right, to be able to look back on their experience and grab the good knowledge, let go of the stuff that didn't work, pivot and move forward. It's about skill development. That's awesome. Things have to come from a curiosity and problem-solving perspective. And it, exactly, it's about skill building. It's about learning how to do better than you've done in the past. Right, and this is, this is where the coaching piece and their competencies and out of the 11 competencies, Number 11 is accountability. It's a part of the coaching process. The more I think about accountability and, um, and curiosity, the more I just, I love the fact that you're pairing the two of those together because curiosity is comfortable and almost unassuming in a lot of ways. And accountability has, like we mentioned, has that 
that little bit of a charge to it. Yep. So the curiosity sort of mitigates that charge. It sort of is a way to to reduce the level of intensity that comes with it, but still you're getting that accountability that's so important. Right. This is not about creating fluff here, right? It's 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 right. accountability right. is a very real thing. And if it's gonna be real, let's make it work for us more than than not. If you're being accountable, but you're failing at what you're doing, right? You're not successfully getting the yard work done or finding a new job or whatever the case may be. The only way to move past that is to be curious about why it didn't work. And have a safe place to share what's going on. At a coaching conference, one of these uh, business coaches was talking about two things that is endemic that happens all the time. People don't do what they say they're going to do, and then they don't tell anyone. And so there's a breakdown in accountability. If they have this understanding or agreement that, hey, I can come back to my team and let them know that I wasn't successful in what I said I was going to do. If that's okay, then you get these minds together and you get problem solving, you get support, you get resources. It's a different ball game, an absolute different ball game and a different experience for that individual. And there's like real support, being able to solve problems, move forward, progress. One of the challenges there is that has to come from the top down, whether it's an employee or a child. If you haven't done what you were saying you're going to do, there's a lot of risk to admit to that. Yes. And, and um, you're absolutely right. It has to come from the top down and it has to be all the way through the organization. There's a guy, Ray Dalio. He has this concept around sort of uh, it's like this radical transparency. Everything's out on the table. Zap assumptions. Everything is you know out in the open. And they say that at first it was really tough, right? But now they will not have it any other way. They now have permission to come share what their challenges are, and there's not going to be any retribution. That's awesome. That's that's huge. Yeah, work I'm really interested in um, the power of assumption. Right, that when we don't have information, the brain starts to just make up stuff. This is the you know perspective work we talk about in coaching of like, oh well, she that's her, you know, she always does that, you know, that's her doing her thing again. And guess what? There's certainty there in that statement, and there's no curiosity. Curiosity has left the room. So curiosity, like mindfulness, is a muscle to build. You're not gonna listen to this podcast and then tomorrow start and just be a curious dude or a curious parent or a curious teacher. It, it's about noticing that, practicing it, and really being in a, a state of questioning, questioning to get more information. Like, hey, what's going on over there? What's your experience? What can you add to the conversation? I've got an assumption going on here. Can you help me with this assumption? Name it, own it, and bring a mindful approach to it. And so much of that is contingent upon tone. Oh, huge. The tone with which you ask that question matters a lot. The words matter too, but you can say, why didn't you do that? That's one question. And if I say, why didn't you do that? It's a very different question. Same words. Right. Tone, um, body, posture, contorted face versus, you know, smiling and, and bright eyes. Yeah, all of those nonverbals. Yeah, all those nonverbals. And, and, you know, it's also, this is something that would help me so much when I was in high school. 
so ADHD has different impacts on different people. For me, I was the I was the space cadet. I was the one who was dreamy and sort of like I just check out. And if there was any kind of tone or whatever, my response to that was not to fight or challenge. My response was to basically whatever, ambivalence, check out, and then I wasn't interested. But when I think about the mentors and the teachers in my life who made a difference, who, who attempted to reach me, that was a line or a tether that was being lowered to me in my kind of dark, insulated cave. <laughs> I was like, hey, what is this? This is interesting. You know, when they were interested in me, you know, to, to invite me into, and, and not, you know, it's not about retribution, it's not about challenge. How can we support you moving forward? I'm also thinking about the timing of that. Because when I was a kid, if I had failed a test and I brought it home to get it, to get it signed or whatever, if my parents asked me in that moment of me asking for the signature or telling them I needed it, if they asked me in, the, in that moment why I bombed that test, I couldn't answer that question I, I just because I was so overwhelmed by the emotions that were wrapped up in that failure. But if they asked me later on when those emotions had sort of subsided a little, I could do a much better job of processing and figuring out where things got tripped up. You're speaking about the prefrontal cortex shutdown. I am. Yeah. You know, that, that overwhelmed state. And then, and then it's like, cat got your tongue? Why can't you articulate your experience right now? And sometimes they just push harder, right? And it's like, you're not helping. You're just making this harder for me. And this comes back to this whole, the value of accurate information, right? And knowing what's going on and recognizing not that ADHD is an excuse, but it provides information that if I come, if I'm, if I'm firm and I'm, you know, coming hard, it's likely that my partner on the other side might shut down and either attack back or disappear, right? Walk away, not engage. But having this information and knowledge of, you know, for me, we had no idea what was going on. The teachers had no idea what was going on, right? This is the 70s and the early 80s. And even into the mid 80s uh, in college, there was just no knowledge of uh, inattentive ADHD. But now with that information, that added with that curiosity can, can be very powerful. Being mindful of time and to sort of bring this into a landing, are there any final thoughts that you have? Any ending essentials that you'd like to mention? I think you can do a lot with starting with this curious perspective. And, and really thinking, okay, maybe I don't know everything, checking yourself on the certainty. Certainty isn't necessarily the goal. So what is the goal, right? That opens us up to possibilities. Right, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go out there and say that as someone who has this book, it's phenomenal. And although it is aimed at coaches, it's also full of really valuable information for parents who can just take that coach approach with the kids and take the curious accountability approach with their kids, which is incredibly effective. It cleared up some things for me as I read it, some things that I do just based on training and based on sort of who I am and how my personality works. There were a couple of points that I read and I was like, oh, that's why I do that. Or that's how that thing that I already do, that's why it works. So it's just an incredibly valuable book. We'll have a link to that first chapter in the show notes. Cameron, do you have a website that they can go to? Yeah, uh, camerongott.com. Thank you very much. This was phenomenal. 
Do you have anything else you want to add? Been a real treat. You know, I'm, I, you can probably tell this is, um, this is my life's work, you know, and I think that I'm reminded of Bob Brooks, psychologist out of Boston. And he used to talk about, you know, fostering islands of competence in our kids, right? Finding, helping them find those places of mastery, you know, and so that's that big carrot in the sky that we want to remind our kids of that they have abilities and to point them in that direction. And anytime I can talk about this with someone, I, I really enjoy it. So I've, I've really enjoyed the experience and I thank you for suggesting the book, Brendan. The book is phenomenal. I really enjoyed it. Super. Thank you again. I appreciate it. You bet. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, adhdessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.